Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. My name is Doug Cunnington, and this episode is brought to you by this sexy sort of hoarse voice. I actually tried to record this episode last night, and my voice was even worse. I couldn't even make it through a sentence without it cracking. But I think we're in a little bit better shape today. I actually feel 100% fine. I'm not even congested. I am uh, 99% sure there's no symptoms of COVID or any even kind of flu-related my voice is just sort of scratchy, so not sure what's going on. However, in this episode, I'm going to tell you about my foreclosure story, and I've alluded to this in the past, never really shared like the full story, although I meant to. I told the story to my friend Roxanne, who has a blog and YouTube channel called Finance Rocks, which is a great play on words and a pretty good name. I did a full interview on her channel, and this is a segment, and Roxanne was kind enough to let me use uh, a portion of the interview. So I talk about that for a few minutes. You'll get to hear the full story, which is kind of interesting. And also, there's some questions that were sent in, mailbag. And this situation is one email that had a few different uh, pieces like built into it. The person didn't even intend it that way. They were actually asking about the site growth plan course. They explained their situation in three to four sentences. And I thought, wow, this is actually a great topic for an episode. There's a couple layers deep in it. Part of it is a website that has uh, dropped in traffic and earnings quite a bit over the past year and kind of what to do at that position. So we'll get into those details. I think... I'm going to send it over to the foreclosure story right now. So this is Roxanne from Finance Rocks asking me about my foreclosure story. Now, you had mentioned to me before about um, having gone through a strategic foreclosure with one of your houses. And this is something that I really don't know that much about. Um, so I was just wondering if you could share a little bit about that and kind of how that led into your FI journey. It sort of started back when I was a kid, really, because my my parents bought their first house, I think, in like 1981 or so. I was two. I don't remember that part, but we lived there for quite a while, and they bought another house, and they rented out that original one that they purchased, Eventually, um, they actually paid it off. You know, it's been quite a number of years ago. So they paid it off and they had it as a rental home. So I always saw that as a great opportunity. And I was like, well, I want to do that too. So I got out of college, got a relatively good job. My my friends were purchasing homes. So I, I bought a house too. Everyone will tell you it's great advice. You try to get some advice from probably the worst people to get home advice from real estate agents and mortgage brokers. They just want you to buy something. So you got to understand people's motivation and their incentives, which don't align with your own at all. Of course, no one knew in 2005 what was coming over the next couple of years. So at the end of 2005, I purchased a home. It was probably at the height of the value ever for that neighborhood. And I bought it. And it, it was fine. I lived there for a few years. I eventually got married a couple of years later, moved in with my wife and 
her neck of the woods there and I rented it out, but I was unfortunately losing a few hundred bucks each month. It was just the market price and what I had to deal with. Of course, everyone knows 2008 and a lot of the market values dropped. This was in Atlanta, pretty decent location overall in a neighborhood that I enjoyed. Other people actually would enjoy it as well. So over time, I was hearing about, um, I guess some of the, I don't know, like the bailouts where if it was your primary home, you would be able to um, like refinance and sort of make things a little bit more tolerable. Unfortunately, because it was at that point an investment property, even though it was my primary home um, originally under that mortgage, I knew that number one, the house was very much upside down because I got one of those great loans where you borrow 100%. Yeah, it was sort of a bad situation. So I had a second mortgage. Interest rates were like more than, I mean, two, two and a half times what they are right now when we're recording this. The mortgage company wouldn't work with me at all. I went back like a crazy person and read like all the closing documents and hit the area for defaulting on a mortgage and what would happen. I tried to look up what the consequence was for being in a foreclosure situation. I really couldn't find much. Going back to the incentive portion, I realized that any of the information that I found about, like, I guess, accepting a foreclosure was by lenders and other people who don't want you to foreclose. They want you to keep paying them because that's how they make their money. So it was really hard to get any information. I eventually decided and my wife, you know, we decided that I would let the house go into foreclosure and just deal with it. It turned out I had a pretty high credit score um, back then. I still do right now, over 800. And the common wisdom back then, and maybe still I haven't looked it up, but they would say that your credit score would probably drop like hundreds of points, probably three, 400 points. It would be um, just awful. However, I had no debt and money in the bank and had a good job. Like all the other markers are fine. No credit card debt, like nothing. Right. So we decided to go for it and it was fine. It's been uh, seven years. We just bought another house here, but that that's sort of the long, long story to a short question, but I'm sure you have other follow-ups. Yeah. So I was wondering, um, has that kind of soured you on rental properties as investments? Or do you think, is that something you would consider doing again? Yes, it did sour me on them. Um, yeah, that's, uh, I think it's great for people that enjoy looking at homes and enjoy the industry. But you probably heard my just, I don't want to say anything too harsh, but I'll just say dislike for mortgage brokers and for real estate agents and like the whole industry. Just, I'm not a fan. I'm not a fan at all. And some of my friends, uh, many of my friends have rental properties. I think there's great markets for it. And if you're into dealing with all of that, then it's probably fantastic. I don't enjoy much of it. And even like even some of the folks that I dealt with more recently in this home, um, I I didn't in, I didn't enjoy it very much, and I'm very much a. Do we, can we cuss a little bit here? Oh uh, yeah, go ahead. Okay, and I, actually, it's not a cuss word, but I'm more of a ball buster. I would say 
for some of the people that you would deal with. Although the real estate agent I worked with was Mindy Jensen, who is fantastic because I mean, she is kind of an outsider uh, for the real estate game. So, yeah, it's funny, isn't it? Trying to find kind of professionals that understand financial independence. I, I remember kind of running into that talking to like financial advisors. Sometimes there's just a disconnect between how you are trying to do things and how uh, the industries regularly do things. So I hear you on that. Um, so since it was, so when you bought the first house, the intention was to eventually rent it out. Was that factored in? Yeah, that was the, that was the idea. And, you know, the plan sort of worked out because I got married a few years later, was able to move out and successfully rented it. And I learned, I mean, I learned a lot by doing that. I would be much more prepared now, but the math didn't work out when you look at what you need when you're renting out a home, like the math just didn't work out. And I, I didn't research it. I didn't pay much attention. I just thought, well, my, my parents were able to do it. I see a few other people were able to do it. I should be able to figure it out. But the math was never going to work out the way I did it. Yeah. You, you, you would say you prefer entrepreneurship as a kind, a kind of investing? Yes. Yeah. Did you invest a lot of money in your business or did you mostly kind of fund it as you went? Uh, bootstrap, definitely. Um, yeah, I, invest, I started from nothing. It was just the side hustle and slowly grew. So, I mean, I put in some initial money for, I mean, a lot of it was, you know, building websites. So it's web hosting, some content, a couple other pieces like that, software, but it's very cheap compared to starting a you know, many other kinds of businesses, especially, I mean, a brick and mortar business or anything where you hold inventory. I mean, the expenses there are huge. This was like um, the equivalent of beer money. <laughs> so hundreds of dollars, not thousands or tens of thousands. I mean, we drink a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of, I guess this is a good time to plug uh, your beer recommendation to me. Plum Street Porter from Bozeman Brewing Company. And it's actually really good. I'm not much of a dark beer drinker, but I kind of like it. What have you got? I have um, Colette from Great Divide Brewing out of Denver. And yeah, I I love uh, the Bozeman Brewing Company out there. You could tag them too whenever you share this oh. on social. But yeah, I was, I was friends with some of the brewers there and I actually taught a couple of beer judging classes and they were kind enough to let me use their facilities and uh, many of the brewers and the owners like joined us for a lot of those tastings. So yeah, good, good crew over at Bozeman Brewing. This episode is brought to you by Ezoic. Ezoic is a Google certified partner and they've recently rolled out their new site speed accelerator. Basically, it speeds up your, your site. It makes it load faster and you really see a huge improvement most of the time with the Google Page Speed Insight score. Now, if you already have a high page insight score, then it's not going to go up as much, but I had experience with uh, one of my sites. Basically, it went from the high 20s, low 30s to the high 90s just by implementing the site speed accelerator. Now, a few people have asked me about using Ezoic in 
basically using their DNS. The best way you can use the site speed accelerator and Ezoic in general is to use their DNS. And the reason why is you're able to use their caching and their CDN. That's a content delivery network. Basically, those are services. Those are things you would typically have to pay for separately, but it's included with the site speed accelerator. There's a free seven day trial. So I encourage you to check it out. And again, people are concerned about using the DNS of some other third party, but basically if you use a CDN, that is what you do. That That's like the thing that happens. If you use a CDN, you have to use another DNS and things are loading sort of outside of your normal registrar and your hosting account, but it helps your site load faster. So it's sort of implicit and I do it myself. So I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't worry about it too much. If you're using a CDN, then you're using other uh, servers to load your site anyway. This is a site speed accelerator, so you need to use caching in the CDN. Thus, you have a much faster loading site. So there's no harm in checking out the free seven-day trial. And thanks again to Ezoic. Before we get into the Q&A segment, I do need to mention my Haro link building course. So that's Help a Reporter Out, and it shows you how to utilize this tool, which essentially is a, a service that reporters can log a request, basically a source request, and then people like us that have websites or experts in various industries, really almost anything, these are reporters uh, across the board, big media outlets, small media outlets, sources like us can provide our input, typically we'll get a mention and probably a link back to our website, normally to the homepage, but if it's super relevant, you may get a link to a specific post on your site. It probably won't be an affiliate or any sort of review post, but anything's possible. That said, this lays out the whole process from starting with Haro, creating an account, figuring out how to deal with all the emails, sending responses that actually can be used, and a few strategies that can improve your conversion rate. Additionally, there's a full unit on flipping the whole process upside down. I've been using it as a quote reporter. So I am putting out source requests as well. And I think I found a pretty interesting way to just get content and build links at the same time. I also have a section on outsourcing the process, which was inspired by an interview here on the podcast with Anthony. So he outsourced pretty much the whole process. And while it's not necessarily easy, it's not hard and the process is uh, straightforward. So if you can have a good set of instructions, standard operating procedures, SOPs as we call them, then uh, it's kind of a no-brainer to hire a, a, a VA to help you out and outsource the whole thing. Anyway, this course is coming out on October 19th, 2020. And if you're listening to this episode in the future, uh, sometime in the future, then uh, you should be able to get this course. So go check it out. There will be a uh, link coming out on uh, Monday the 19th. But since this episode is coming out before then, I'm not going to give you a link that doesn't go anywhere. So I'm just getting you excited for it. Let's move on to the Niche Website Builders Q&A segment. And they are an affiliate marketing agency that can help us with content. I have a standing order of 20,000 words per month. And the Shotgun Skyscraper campaigns, I've seen excellent 
results so far. I'm about uh, two and a half months in, and I think I think my results are, are pretty amazing. I've been getting a very high domain rating as reported by Ahrefs. As far as the links, not as many links as I expected, but they seem to be more powerful. So I'm interested to see how it's going to impact, you know, of course, the rankings and the traffic, which at this point, I don't see much of a difference. But I'm also interested in how the domain rating and domain authority of my site will move up. It was a brand new domain as of like July of 2020. So should be very interesting. I haven't, I've never really cared much about the metrics, but that'll give us a pretty good idea on the quality of the links coming in. And I mean, it gives us a number to point out. So these questions were from one person, Kevin. So shout out to Kevin. I won't mention your last name. He and I have been sending emails back and forth uh, over the last, you know, several months. Haven't heard from him in a while. So he says, Hey, Doug, long time, no speak. Hope all is well. My content site has taken a backseat to my day job since COVID shutdown started and the April commission rate change. I'm thinking of a radical change in dropping my job to work on my own businesses, including the content site primarily to start out with. Traffic has dropped by 90% 90 since the highs last December and the revenue has um, dropped as well. I'm not sure what it was, but currently it's about $100 per month. That's as of like September, August timeframe of 2020. Kevin says, I wonder if the site growth plan course would be right for me given the site's current state. I'm getting about a thousand visitors per month. Over 50% are from referral traffic sources. He apparently bought the site with private blog networks. If you don't know what a private blog network is, it's a... uh, set of websites, a network of websites that is there just to build links. Google doesn't like these. And normally it's kind of a risky proposition if you don't know what you're doing. So Kevin says, I bought the site with PBNs and it's not ideal and potentially unsalvageable. So let me know what you think and so on. Well, I told him this is a It's very interesting. I think the course is a good fit, but I told him without knowing more details, I'm not sure if the site is salvageable. If it's not penalized and there's not a crazy number of private blog network links, PBN links, then it might be a matter of fixing up the content and then getting some links to kind of replace the PBN links that are more risky. And I think again, to mention the Haro link building course, those kind of links would probably be excellent because typically they're brand anchor text and they're from larger websites, sometimes like news sources, which are quite credible in general. So that said, um, I mentioned that coaching could be a good option because it could save him a lot of time to figure out if he should scrap the site or move to a new domain. So Without even enrolling in the course, I pointed him in the direction of more questions. So I said, how much content is on the site and how many PBN links? And I'm going to jump into the prospect of quitting your full-time job and then working for yourself full-time. So I'm going to explain more of that. That's going to be kind of the meat of this question. So Kevin mentioned to me, in the response that there are 70 posts, usually they're about 
1,200 words on average, and there are 18 PBN links. It doesn't seem like there's any sort of penalty. Uh, Google Search Console, Google Analytics, they don't have any notifications about penalties, so it seems to be fine in that regard. So I told him, if you have 18 PBN links, that's no problem, all right? You, you don't want to have those as your primary links, 100% of your links. So I told him, if you just get some better links and sort of outnumber the PBN links with more natural links, white hat links, then you're going to be in much better shape. It'll represent a smaller risk because the number of PBN links, those risky links, will be a smaller percentage of the overall link profile. If you put in the time for uh, link building and outsource it, there's not really an issue with replacing those links. I wouldn't even really disavow them unless they are super terrible. And even then, I maybe would just like let them be for the short short term. If there's any issues in the future, then sure, you could disavow them, but I wouldn't mess with anything you know, in the short term. So that answer is pretty general, and I think you should be able to apply those ideas to your site. One thing that is missing that I didn't ask Kevin about because it's sort of a secondary priority, but I'm not sure why the traffic dropped so much if it was related to uh, an algorithm update, perhaps. There's been a few since last December. Maybe it's some other thing. So it's kind of important to see if there's anything specific. If it is an algorithm update, you can just sort of generally improve the site, get links, do positive things, and you'll be in good shape. There's no you know, one-size-fits-all solution for any of these algorithm updates in the last several years, basically. They're, they're very general, and we just don't know what to do exactly other than generally improve the site. The part that I want to dig into is Kevin just mentioned sort of in passing, I'm thinking of a radical change and dropping my job to work on my own businesses, including this content site. So this brings us to the idea of, you know, should I quit my job to go full time, which I think that could be mul like multiple episodes to really unpack. But I'll tell you some of the pros and cons and just generally my take on it. So for me personally, that wasn't even really an option. I got laid off. And if I didn't get laid off, there's a chance that here five years later, I would still have my full-time job. The pay was good, very flexible. I was in that uh, sort of limbo middle management area where I had people working for me. Uh, usually it was like six to 15 people. And if I did things right, although this was not the culture at my company, but in my opinion, this is the right way. If I did things right, if I have 15 people working for me or say 10 I should I should be able to delegate a whole lot of my activities to my team. I could be thinking about um, better ways to do things and allowing the team to grow by taking on some of my responsibilities. So that honestly, that's part of the reason why I probably got laid off is because I was doing things differently, like outsourcing to my team. Really, you call it delegating if it's within the team, but you know. Now I have the habit of saying outsourcing. So I, I probably, because I'm just so risk averse, that I probably wouldn't quit the job. So there's a couple things in play here. 
So just sort of the pros and cons. So quitting your job, couple pros, you have full focus on exactly what you want to work on. You probably should be um, a little happier if you are making decisions, you have full autonomy on what you want to work on. Now, you don't have a parachute, usually. It depends on how you set it up. So maybe you maybe you have a pretty long runway and you understand your expenses, which is a key thing. So if you know how much you're spending each month, then you could plan ahead and just know, hey, it probably would be a good idea to have you know, 12, 18, 36 months of expenses taken care of so that you don't have to be rushed. You don't have to feel pressure to make decisions to get money in the door. I think that's really important. If you are making decisions based on how you can make money the quickest way, you may make sort of poor decisions. You may, you might make decisions that you wouldn't make if you had plenty of time. So I think that's key. Everyone has sort of a different risk tolerance. Now, if your job sucks a lot and you hate it, you dread it each day, each week, and it's just wearing you out, I would say, yeah, you probably want to quit. Chances are you're going to be more productive and way happier if you're working on your own business. And the other thing, which is you know, more related to mindset, is when you make a big decision and you're being decisive, right? You're changing the direction. Again, it shows autonomy and it feels really good. My wife and I have done this a, a few times where we've made, you know, huge major changes, moved across the country, and it's exciting. You're in new experiences. Again, you're you're decisive and it feels really good. Every time we've done it, it's been awesome. Obviously, quitting your job is a big decisive thing, and you probably can find some, you know, really good. I don't know what word, but you're going to feel good about that decision. You're going to be working on stuff that you're interested in. Now, as far as the cons go, you may have a lot of pressure on your shoulders. It could be very stressful depending on how, how much of a runway you have, how risk tolerant you are. Some people are not going to be able to operate very well if you just can't deal with the risk and uncertainty. You're not going to know if any project is going to work out how you expect. It's almost guaranteed to not work out how you expect. It may be way better, but usually our expectations are pretty far off. You may also have an urge to try out too many business ideas. And there are so many possibilities. And a lot of times, once you get a little taste of success, you might end up you know, just spreading yourself too thin. So I remember I over, this was back in shoot 2013 and I was getting my first taste of success. And I heard some people chatting next to me at a coffee shop. And I heard a mention like ranking number one or top three and a couple of SEO terms. I was like, Hey man, I got to interrupt you guys. And I ended up finding out that they, they were talking of SEO and ended up selling a service for uh, just helping them rank and building links. And I, I was like, hey, check out, you know, Google this term, Google that term. And they saw that I was ranking number one, which is like the best sales you could do, especially some, you know, random people at a coffee shop. So we chatted for a few minutes and essentially I, I spread myself too thin because I was like, oh, I have this stuff figured out. 
Um, you know, I'll charge you guys. I think I charge like 300 bucks a month or something like that. And it went on for a couple months and, you know, I didn't, unfortunately I didn't know what the issue was with their site. And I think they had, I mean, I, I didn't do a great job. You know, I was practicing <laughs> some of the gray hat SEO, which was very common back then. They were doing that already on their site. So it, it kind of, it didn't work. The, the stuff that I was doing and the stuff that they were doing did not work. And I, you know, didn't know much about the service business either. So you can spread yourself a little too thin and end up in situations where you're like, oh man, this this was kind of a pain in the ass and I didn't really enjoy it. And it took me way more time than I thought. I thought I was just going to outsource some of the uh, link building and I'd be in great shape, but it ended up being a total mess. So again, if you are stressed out because you're like, hey, I need to get more money in, you may be taking some freelance jobs you're not exactly qualified for. Now, you can learn this stuff, right? So if I would have kept pushing and decided, hey, I want to run an SEO agency, which I would never want to try and do, then I'm sure I could have figured things out after several months and working with other clients. But again, you can make weird decisions if you're like, hey, I just need to get money in the door. So some of the key things, right? So if you know your expenses per month, which we should all know. All right. So we should all know that stuff. So if you, if you don't know it, calculate it, and then you'll have a pretty good idea how much of a runway you potentially would need. Don't forget to add in like the odd expenses, like, Hey, you need to get new tires for your truck or oil changes, um, maintenance for, I'm just thinking about automobiles because I need new tires, (laughs) but for your home, if you have an older home, Maybe after a little while, you need to get a roof because of hail damage or something like that. And just the things that you don't always think about. Budget, budget a little bit extra for those items. Additionally, if you realize, hey, my expenses are really high because I live in an an expensive city, then you may need to go and move. Like my friends, uh, Rob and Thais, who have been on the show before, they moved to Thailand and their expenses went down dramatically as they you know, previously were in um, expensive areas. So you can move and take advantage of much cheaper locations. But overall, I would say it's it could potentially be good. It can be good if you're in a situation where you really don't like your job, you want to make a big decision, and you have enough runway so that you're not going to freak out. That said, some people love the pressure, and they really do well if they have all this weight and stress upon them. I I think I actually do okay in those situations, but if I don't have to, um, I prefer not to be stressed out. I uh, I don't know if it aligns well with like test taking. I, I can take a test pretty well. So that was, uh, you know, generally all through, all through school, university, um, professional certifications, I've been able to test pretty well. That's typically stressful. You have to study for those tests for a long time. I don't know if it lines up really well, but I imagine it kind of does, at least the way I have to study. I know some people can cram at the last minute. I can't do that. I have to treat it like a marathon and start studying like very early and for a long period of time. So if you have any opinions on this quitting a job to work on your business full time, super interested to hear about it feedback at doug.show, or you could leave me a voicemail. There's a phone number in the show notes, so you could check it out. 
do want to give a uh, shout out for this niche website builders Q&A segment. You can save 10% on the link building packages or you can get 10% additional content if you get a content package or if you buy at the done for you sites. Just follow the link in the show notes here. I think you need to enter your name and email address and then you'll get the uh, discount codes. There's a couple coupon codes that you can use. Thanks for your understanding with this voice here. I'm going to rest for a couple days. I, I really don't know what's going on, but I'm glad I was able to nurse nurse through it. And uh, hopefully we'll, we'll clean this up. There's no filter that will make my voice sound better, but I think rest can do it. So everybody have a good one out there and we'll catch you on the next episode.